warm welcome to all our listeners. This is a part of podcast Reflections from Budapest, Religion, State and Society, where we look at issues of religious conflict, religious violence and reconciliation. We have previously concentrated on our research about anti-Semitism in Hungary. We have recently completed this research and published a two-volume set of books on the subject titled Anti-Semitism in Hungary, Appearance and Reality. In our current research, titled Attacks on Christian Communities and Institutions, we are undertaking fieldwork in a number of countries in the EU, Middle East and Africa. Our research in Poland has been completed and we will travel to Iraqi Kurdistan in March. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Mr. Jonathan Andrews, who is the Middle East Monitor for Persecution Intelligence Unit of Global Christian Relief and writer of several books dealing with the situation of Christians in the Middle East. My name is Sharon Sugar. I'm a researcher at the Danube Institute. Let me introduce my colleagues, Professor Jeffrey Kaplan, a distinguished fellow at the Danube Institute, and Virag Lörinc, a researcher at the Danube Institute. Thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Andrews. You're welcome. To begin, could you tell us a bit about yourself and your work with Global Christian Relief? Yes, gladly. Uh, I've worked as uh, as you've indicated, and in, uh, issues to do with the Christians of the Middle East since uh, the year 2000, so 23 years now. Worked briefly with Sat7, satellite TV in Arabic, then now also in Farsi and Turkish. Uh, it lets the Christians of the Middle East share their faith with their, with their people, with their region, with their fellow citizens. Then for, uh, I moved and worked for a number of years with a small group called Middle East uh, Concern, a small group dealing with religious persecutions, standing alongside Christians when they suffer because of their identification with Christ. I took a sabbatical from them in 2014 to focus on writing a book uh, called Identity Crisis, Religious Registration in the Middle East, which was published in 2016. At the end of my sabbatical, I uh, I uh, left the organization and I've worked as a freelance research writer ever since. My role with Global Christian Relief is, is a new addition to my portfolio of activities. started actually just this month, so uh, the organization itself is fairly new. So uh, those involved have been involved in, this, in the subject of supporting Christians when they suffer for their faith for many years. Your books on Islam and the Islamic world and Christians in the Middle East are very interesting, actually. I've had, I've had a chance to look at them at least briefly. Could you tell our listeners about your approach to these very controversial subjects? Oh, gladly, yes. Um, well, Muslims, Christians, others, they, they live together in, 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 in the region. They are neighbours, they share community, and if the region will, is going to thrive, they will need to thrive together. Um, they need to, I think, uh, as, as, a, as a passionate believer and follower of Christ myself, I do think everybody should take their faith very seriously. It's a key part of who we are, uh, how we behave, it informs our ethics, our, how we live. Um, the approach then is, is, well, how do you see those who are different to yourself? And I mean, the last book I co-edited is called The Religious Other, the other, anyone who's different to you. Um, and the first part of that book looks at, well, what is, what is your underlying thinking of the other, your underlying theology, if you like? How do you see them? 
because that was showing your attitudes to them, which will affect the outcome of engagement, your engagement. So if you're uh, passionate about evangelism, about others becoming adherents of Christ, think through carefully what, what, is, your, what is your primary thinking of them, because it will show. Um, I often say, you know, if, if you think that they are sinners condemned to hell, it will show up in a probably quite negative way. Equally, if you think of them first and foremost as uh, these are people loved by God, created in God's image, Jesus died for them and longs to relate to them, it will show through in a more positive way. And I think that's the the the, the overall attitude I try and take. You know, we have to understand that that the religions in the Middle East, all of them, the Islam. Uh, Christianity and Judaism that predates the other two, of course, they are diverse, uh, very diverse. And uh, as I note in the first book, The Identity Crisis, one I referred to, you know, who, who is the majority if, if you look at it, if you look at it in terms of who's a Christian, who's a Muslim, who's a Sunni Shia, etc., you get one picture of who, who are the larger group. But if you look at it in in the view of who are those who take their faith seriously and want it to want to use it for the good of all, they are far and away the majority. And it, it might be the extremists and particularly those who turn to violent methods, um, who get the headlines and get attention. You know, the extreme example, of course, is Islamic State, uh, but there are extremist groups amongst all religions. Um, who would seek to impose their way of life on others by whatever means they can, you know. But it is the people of goodwill who reach out to all. They are they are the majority across the region, um, and I think that's that's the view. Keep keep affirming that diversity is innately good, um, that you can learn from those who are different, and the way to engage with the others. Uh, different from you is to be clear about what you believe yourself yes uh what's distinctive about it in difference to listen to other people's view uh and to be enriched by one another's experience of god of life um and to recognize that in seeking to make jesus known some will respond and choose to become his disciples and others will choose to remain um uh, in uh with their religious beliefs they start with I mean, let me follow up a bit on that because uh, with a couple of uh, a couple of questions come up as i listen to you part of your work also is the a comparison of text um sacred text in particular quran and bible how do you approach that because it's a uh, it's it's extremely that kind of hermeneutics is extremely difficult yes thank you this um yeah the the last book are the religious other the subtitle is a biblical understanding of Islam, the Quran, and Muhammad. Uh, and there's a I'm co-editor of that. I would say the real expertise on the topics uh, in that book is is the contributors, and also my co-editor, Dr. Martin Akkad, who's Lebanese, um, and taught at teaches at Fuller Institute in the U.S. as well. Um, and I think the the approach adopted there, you know, well, one approach to adopt there was also to bring in the third religion of the re, the region, the Judaism, uh, and to to bring that in, and that's done by a scholar who is, um, well, she would describe herself 
as as Jewish, uh, a Jewish disciple of Christ, of Jesus. Um, and to look then at, uh, well, one approach, well, one thing she points out is if you look at in the, in the Old Testament at the history of the Jewish people, the Israelites, when the kingdom splits post the reign of Solomon, you get the, the Judah and you get the northern tribes. And the northern tribes under Jeroboam, he sets up a new center of, of worship. And he also changes the text slightly to to, to remove, reduce the, the, the focus on Jerusalem. And isn't that similar to what Muhammad did? He created a new text and he created a new center of worship. Um, and, and that's yeah, a route into to, um, to, to exploring these sort of issues as to how do you view the other and the difference. And just to reflect that, that the religions of the Middle East, they have all influenced one another. Uh, and continue to do so as they as they live alongside. Um, but again, as I said earlier, do keep in mind you know, why do you why do we as a Christian why do others think what they think? What's the source text? Um, and and to be open to the the insights that study of text brings. And it's a very good answer. Very interesting. Um, on a very practical level. If part of the effort is a kind of mission outreach to um, um, to bring people to Jesus, there is a in the Islamic world there's a tremendous risk to that because a, uh, Islam is one religion one religion where apostasy is strictly forbidden. You're free to join the religion completely freely, and there can be no coercion in becoming taking the shahada and becoming a Muslim. But once you do there's no going back. Yes, that's classic Islamic doctrine. I always quietly ask, well, what, what is apostasy? What are you leaving? Um, and I think this, this is, as you indicate, there is a huge struggle here from, for most of those people who are raised in Muslim, the Muslim heritage and the Muslim family who choose to follow Jesus. They virtually all experience some form of rejection either from their family, from their community, or, or by their state. Um, this is the whole theme of the book Identity Crisis, what happens to these people, because they tend to, they will live and worship as Christian, but they're treated by state and by society as though they're still Muslim, um, which is where the title of Identity Crisis comes from. And I think the people themselves get one set of issues. I think their children, if if they marry and have children, have a different set, um, uh, which I think, uh, you know, there's you know, one person I always find fascinating in her background is her father is Iranian, a Muslim convert from Islam. Her mother is actually Jewish. Um, she was raised Christian, but she's got all three faiths in her background. Um, that sort of we're going to see this sort of issue more and more of people who've switched religions and um, and the issues it creates in future generations and as you say there's the issue of, of of how are those who change religion treated by both by the community they join and by the community that they leave um, and and what are they accepted i mean one thing one 
minor bit that's in the identity crisis is in in Lebanon. There are people who are regarded as Shia Muslim asking to be switched their registration to be Sunni, which in Lebanon you can do. And their motivation is they want to go and work in Dubai and other places in the Gulf. You know, they're changing their registration and how they're viewed, but for non-religious reasons. In that case, economic or migration ones. They want to work in a predominantly Sunni area and so be treated as Sunni. And the the the, the Sunni Sheikh who has to approve the transition, he warns them. He says, "If you do this, you will never be truly accepted in any community. Your your Shia community won't trust you because you've left, and the Sunni community won't trust you because you're not really one of us. So where are you going to fit?" Uh, and think about that. Well, I think, yeah, wise advice, I think, and, and, and indicative of uh, of what happens to anyone who changes. The big challenge with this system, actually, is what happens if two people fall in love, want to marry, uh, and their registrations are different. You know, yeah. all, all marriage is within... Um, is with it is done within re religious systems there's no civil marriage so if the two re re registrations don't match where do they fit they don't typically it forces one of them to convert to change now then whether they've changed their actual religious thinking whether it's changed how they pray and how they worship is is secondary and they're actually not not part of this conversation it's purely how are they viewed by society or which legal system, which court system do they come under for personal status matters, notably marriage? Um, and that's when you come back to your question on, on apostasy. Sure. What is it? You know, what are you leaving when you're no longer Muslim? Are you leaving a religious group or are you, in some sense, leaving community? And on a technical level, in Lebanon, they, there's another complication as well, which is that the political system and voting is according to your identity card. So if you become, if you leave a religion, just as an example, from Islam to Christianity, that identity card doesn't change. So yeah. what happens to you? Um, you're you're no longer allowed really to vote. You have to vote for the list from your own faith. Yeah, quite, and and. The whole political system is geared on the confessional lines. Um, the current young generation protests want to remove that. The political politicians in power want to leave it alone. Um, yes, and that's one of the other complications as to how this works. Uh, Lebanon is the big example in the region, but elsewhere, I mean, many countries actually have reserved seats in parliament for the Christian communities. Um, which are usually disproportionately larger than the actual size of the community. But Much of your work focuses on the situation in Lebanon. Lebanon is a unique case because um, both the political structure in the country and also the Christian groups have their own militias. Do Lebanese Christians face the same kind of threats and challenges as Christian communities in other regions in the Middle East? Uh, I mean, the short answer would be no. I think I think they don't. The more nuanced, I mean, firstly, what sort of pressures do the Christian communities elsewhere face? Um, often there's discrimination in jobs, particularly with the civil service, the public sector, uh, either restrictions on entry to it, or if they can join, there are 
what in England we would call glass ceilings. You're not allowed to be promoted beyond a certain level, irrespective of your competence. Um, far less the case in Lebanon. Although private sector employment um, businesses, often the Christian communities, they own a disproportionate percentage of businesses. That's true in Egypt and Jordan. So that can even end up being pro-Christian discrimination in that or that in those sort of areas, which again I think you would see in Lebanon. But um, from the state, no, it, it, it there is good respect for churches and Christians. They they can run their own affairs. They can maintain and look after their own buildings, which is problematic in some countries. Um, they don't get the same pressures and. Outreach to non-Christians is is fine in Lebanon. At least in most places, it's due to it will come down to the attitude of local officials in some areas. Um, but no, you get Christian churches emerged in Druze areas and in much of Lebanon. Perhaps not quite everywhere. The strong Hezbollah areas it's different. And you also get Christian engagement in social welfare activities as well, reaching out to others. So the situation is generally um, uh, fine. I think that those who convert to Christ from non-Christian backgrounds, um, certainly if they're displaced people, if they're Iraqis or Syrians um, in particular, they 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 get very few issues other than from immediate family um the palestinian communities i think they're very um particularly those in what are the still referred to as palestinian camps they're very uh, tight uh, um almost defensive type communities so a, a convert there would have would have face intense pressure from community um but generally, no. Lebanon is uh, is uh, you know a place where Christians can be Christians. Let me switch subjects a little bit. In that you have some expertise also on the Sudan. Sudan is an immensely complex country, and the situation has been quite volatile in some provinces. Could you share with our listeners what you have learned about the situation of Sudanese Christians? Yeah, Sudanese Christians. Yes. I mean, the Sudan was in, became independent in 56, 1956. And I think um, there's been um, there's been challenges, there's been you know, civil war almost in some of the country uh, and communal violence in some of the country virtually all the time and in much of the country for bits of the time. Very volatile place. It's what, 600 ethnic groups? Groups and six or hundred ethnic or six or hundreds of languages. It, it's very very tribal society. Um, back in 2011, you had South Sudan separated off to predominantly animist Christian, and it seeded from the rest of the country. And I think that intensified the situation for the Sudanese Christians who were uh, uh, there. The Christian Church official presence, largely in the main, main cities, Khartoum. Uh, 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 and uh, on on demand, the other half of them. I always think of it as one city with a, the Nile River going through the middle of it. Mm -hmm. It's a bit like Budapest um, with the Danube, Buddha and Pest. Um, 
and the Christian church has had pressure on ownership of property. Um, it's had pressure, some pressure, I think, on training leaders uh, and a lot of job discrimination against it as well. So those are the pressures around. I think the people who choose to follow Christ from non-Christian backgrounds, that's a very intense environment, apostasy, until a couple of two years ago was criminalized. Uh, and there was one case a few years ago of someone who was officially sentenced to death for it. Quite a rare case, attracted a lot of attention and uh, they found a way of of removing the legal charge on, on the technicality and the lady and her family left the country. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a strong place. I think it, it was very intense. And then there was a period in the politics started to change after the long-standing President Omar Hassan al-Bashir uh, was removed from office. I've always regarded him, uh, by the way, as the worst ruler in the Arab world. Um, he probably killed more of his own citizens than all the others put together. Um, and after his, after he was removed, I think the situation eased, uh, religious freedom improved. And then more recently, uh, since the uh, coup of July 2021, uh, it's re-intensified for the Christian communities again. I think um, uh, it, it's gone back to being a more overtly Islamic uh, form of governance. Um, that's been imposed. And I think there's largely impunity for those who act against the church, which is one reason the issues around ownership of church buildings and property are quite difficult and not being resolved. Um, yeah, so it, it's a difficult situation for them. Equally, I think Sudanese Christians, the ones I know, very faithful, very committed to Christ, um, uh, clear in testimony and witness uh, and passionate about reaching God's word to anyone who wishes to, to listen. In the recent decades, there has been a flood of Christian migration from the Middle East and to the Western world. As a last question, is it too pessimistic to ask whether in your view Christianity in the region has a future? Uh, I am naturally an optimist. So, <laughs> so I, I always uh, look on the positive side of this. Yes, emigration is a huge issue from the region, and uh, not just for Christians, by the way, but for ev everyone. Uh, in, the, in England, we use the term brain drain, so it tends to be the better educated and the professionals, those who can get jobs globally who, who migrate, and that is disproportionately Christian. So in 2011-2012, it was said that 100,000 Egyptians left, of whom 40,000 were Christians, so 40% were Christian, whereas in the percentage of the population, there'd be, what, 8 to 10. So it's disproportionately Christian. Yes, that is affecting the church and the Christian communities. Um, but the positive is in many parts of the region, indeed throughout the region, there are those who are born into, into other faiths who are choosing to become disciples of Jesus, and that branch of Christianity is growing quickly in some places, slowly everywhere. Uh, and if there's a, you know, that has a very positive aspect to the future of the church. So I think the nature of and the expression of the church 
in the region will continue to change, but that it does have a present, a continuing presence. Yes, I'm very, I would be very positive about. Incidentally, someone like the King of uh, King Abdullah of Jordan, um, he is on public record of saying at the UN that Christians are an integral part of his country, of its past, of its present, and of its future. Now, they might only be one, two percent but he seems to view them as the glue that holds the country together. And as we mentioned earlier, they, they own a disproportionate percentage of businesses and their economic situation is, is critical. So that's a, a real positive. Of course, you, you might want to quietly say to King Abdullah, well, in that case, why do you discriminate against them in, in various subtle ways? But uh, is there a positive future? My view would be yes. Is it a comfortable future? Um, uh maybe not well certainly not for some and and i am aware that i sit as an outsider looking in prayerfully concerned aware of uh aware of those i know and the people they represent um and it's the lived reality is theirs not mine but um i i would be hopeful there will you know jesus will always have a rep leave himself a representation of who he is uh, in the region in which, let, lest we forget, he was born, raised, lived, uh, moved, taught, worked miracles, and encouraged people to follow me. Equally, he told all of us, you will have trouble in this life, but I have overcome. Thank you so much for your time and answering all our questions. Stay tuned for the upcoming podcast featuring distinguished guests from Hungary and abroad.